All right, Psalm 67 is our text. Feeling a little self-conscious, I wore my sport coat this morning, but I'm getting too warm, and it'll wear me down. It's 67, by the way. Did I say 76? Psalm 67. And I couldn't remember if I ironed my whole shirt or not. Sometimes I try to cheat. (laughs) But I just had to risk it because it's just too warm. Psalm 67. You know, before I came here, many of you know this, I worked for a mission organization uh, for about four years. I had a position with them and did some things uh, for the um, Russian-speaking peoples uh, around the world, but really focused in on um, the, what we would call the former Soviet Union. And, uh, and when you're working for a mission organization full-time and you're kind of in and Uh, that frame of mind, it's easy to stay focused on the bigger picture of global missions. It's really easy to do that because that's what they're paying you to do. They're paying you to stay focused on uh, that aspect of uh, what God has called us to and what he desires for us. But I've noticed even in being a pastor, local church, that and even just having a family and a home and different things that um, it becomes easy to forget about that or kind of put that on the back burner while you focus on many other things. And there are many other things we must focus on uh, as a church. That's absolutely true. Uh, We have uh, internal needs that we care for. We say at Calvary that we exist for his glory, okay, the glory of God and the good of his people and the Great Commission. So we focus on his glory in things like this when we worship him and we put time and attention into corporate worship and glorifying God. We focus on the good of his people because what we learn in scripture is that God didn't intend his people to live in isolation by themselves. He intended them to live together and to serve one another. But it is that Great commission or that global mission aspect of sending out or being sent to places and to peoples uh, who do not now have the gospel or maybe have it very little and need people to carry that gospel to them. That is one of the main things that the church is supposed to be doing. One of the main things that we get the privilege of being a part of. Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's interesting is that letter that, or Matthew's gospel ends in Matthew 28 where he says, go now and make disciples of all the nations, right? And baptizing them and, and teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. So what we're seeing already is that yes, Jesus will build his church, but he'll build it through his people. Luke begins the book of Acts with the statement of, uh, I recorded for you in the gospel of Luke all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then what do you see in the book of Acts? Is Jesus continuing to do those things through his church as the good news spreads to the nation. So this is something we need to focus on. This is who we are. It's why we exist for the glory of God and the good of his people and his mission. We can lose focus on that in large measure when we get 
only focused or exclusively focused on the cares of this world and the things of this life or the cares of this church, the things that we're doing in it. We can lose focus on that when we focus more on the political landscape and needs of our nation. And like that's where our focus becomes is on the the politics and the future of this nation. Those things are too. We're to pay attention to those things, no doubt about it. But oftentimes that almost nationalistic political agenda deadens our desire to see people from all over the other nations come to know God in a saving way. And that is why Psalm 67 exists. Psalm 67 exists in your Bible so that every time you read it, and as we pay attention to it now, our hearts can be enlarged to God's global purpose among the nations, and we can pray for and seek that our hearts and affections would match that of God's that are very clearly revealed here to have people from all over the world worshiping him. That's why this psalm exists. That's why I want us to go through it. That's why I want it to become a a theme psalm for the people of Calvary, and we'll spend at least two Sundays, including this one, in it. Psalm 67 will give us purpose that extends beyond these four walls to something far larger and greater that God is doing throughout this world. He wants to use Psalm 67 in our lives for all of us as individuals and as a church to fan into flame a fresh vision for his glory and a passion to see that glory spread to the nations and people groups around the world. That the driving desire behind the psalm, the driving desire is that people who do not now worship God would become worshipers of God and therefore God would be being glorified in all of that, you see. It's a prayer to God for his blessing upon Israel with the expressed purpose and intent that Israel then become a channel of blessing to the nations. The heart of this psalm is a plea for God to be exalted and enjoyed and praised among all the people groups of the world. This prayer was being answered and began really to be visually answered at the birth of Jesus Christ. The Savior of the world was sent into the world. And at that time, and this is what we're celebrating, of course, now in the Advent season and Christmas, is that the prayer of this psalm is being answered. Okay, so you have kind of gotten on the big picture of what this psalm is all about and kind of the direction that I want to head with it in these few weeks. And now let's just pause, let's read it, and we'll pray and ask God's blessing upon it, and then we'll dive into the particulars of this psalm, okay? Psalm 67, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's just pause now and ask God to bless the word preached. Father, we know and confess that this passage of scripture comes from you. It reflects your, it is your mind and heart. And so we pray that your work would be, as we study it, as we analyze it, as we think about it, that your spirit would work in us in such a way that our thoughts and intentions and mind would come into agreement with yours. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't just know this text and know what it says, but that you would work in us the grace that we could feel it, that we would share the passion of the author as he wrote it and of your passion to be worshipped and glorified among the nations. We ask this of you because you're the only one that can work that in us. And so we trust you to do it now. I pray that you would help me as I teach and preach. Uh, May your strength be in me. May you strengthen me and overcome and conquer my weaknesses and failings even this morning. And we pray that the message would be clear and effective. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's talk a little bit about the context of this psalm. We're not entirely sure the occasion that the psalmist used. It could have been in some kind of harvest uh, time of celebration. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. I'm talking about the, God, uh, the blessing upon that, maybe making a connection there then to a, a far greater harvest of people around the world in which God intends to give. Um, could be something to that effect. We're not entirely sure. We do not know for sure who the author is, though we're probably leaning into the idea that it's David who wrote so many of the Psalms, and of course it bears his mark upon it in many ways, and so probably David. But neither of those two things are really important for us to understand uh, what the thrust and the points of this text are. But we do know that whoever wrote it was a Jew, right? And he was writing on behalf of the entire nation. This was a prayer on behalf of the entire nation. This was not a personal prayer. Like Psalm 23, it wasn't a personal psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Those are wonderful in their place. But that was not the intent of this. The context of it, it is a Jew, probably David, writing on behalf of the entire nation now, when he says things like, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, you see. It's the people of God. It is a prayer for the people of God. And what we're going to do now is we are going to take Psalm 67 and apply it to us as the people of God in this day and age as a New Testament church. Remember, we have permission to do that because 
As Christians, we inherited the Old Testament. And not only that, didn't we just labor the point in Romans 4 that we are all children of Abraham by faith, right? So we can take Psalm 67 and we can pray it for Calvary Bible Church and we're okay in doing that. And we can ask God for these things and apply it to us over these upcoming two or three weeks. I like to think about the fact that maybe in this psalm, not maybe, we're certain of it, Jesus encountered it, read it himself, had it read to him. If you can just imagine for a moment the perfect incarnate Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, in front of this psalm and reading it in such a way that he is just praying this to God, I mean with full sincerity. Sometimes we might pray through this psalm and there's even parts of us that are like thinking about other things or our souls may feel a little deadened that morning. Here we had the perfect God-man. We had Jesus Christ praying this psalm for global expansion of the worship of God beyond Israel to the ends of the earth among all the nations and Jesus is praying this for his people in himself, knowing it's going to be answered in him and through his work. What a joy to think about. They say that all the Psalms were Christ's Psalms. They're right in saying it. They were Jesus' Psalms before ours. And now they're ours in him. And this is a song. I think that's important to point out. This was written not just as a work of poetry that might have been turned into a psalm. My mom wrote a poem. Graham and Genes graciously took that poem that she wrote, turned it into a song, and we were able to play that at my mom's funeral just two weeks ago. It was wonderful. But this was written to be a song, and we know that because it tells us that, right? So if we look down at the passage, before you even get to verse 1, you see that it's to the choir master with stringed instruments. It's a song. It's a psalm. Uh, a song, no doubt about it, right? This was written as a song to be used in the gathering worship of God's people. It was written, given to the leader of the corporate music and singing when they were to gather. This is to be used now when God's people gather together in order to worship Him. It was designed for the people to sing together. And that's significant, friends, because that means that as they were gathered together, so picture this, just as we would be here, the old covenant people of God gathering together and they're singing on whatever occasion it is. And in those moments that they're singing, every single one of them has one track of thinking for the moments they're singing that song they're all on the same page right music like no other medium of worship can unify the people of God we come into this room with so many different thoughts and ideas in our minds and things that we're dealing with from the week things we have to deal with the week with all the scattered brain all of a sudden we start singing 
And everybody's saying the same thing. Everybody's thinking the same thoughts. And if we're singing as we're commanded to do in Colossians 3, from our hearts to the Lord, it means we're actually internalizing those words and we're singing and prayerfully singing those words, right? We're all unified in our thinking and God wants us to be unified in our thinking, especially when it comes to something like this, to his desire to be worshiped among all the people groups of the world. He wants every Jew in the old covenant on the same page and he wants every Christian. That's why Psalm 67 is in your Bible now. Because he wants us all to be on the same page with this and be in the same way of thinking. Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. How do you do that? How do you get a room of 140 or 50 people on the same page like that? Well, you, you give them songs to sing. In other words, friends, what I'm trying to say is this. God, through this song, is getting all his people on the same page when it comes to global gospel proclamation. He wanted them all to pray the same prayer for blessing so that they could be a blessing. He wanted them all to share his heart to be worshipped among the nations. He wanted them all to lose their self-focus and to look up and out to the world and pray together for its salvation. Every time they would sing it, and every time we read it, it does the same thing for us. You see, friends, for the church, gospel global proclamation isn't just for a few people to be interested in. One of the dangers of ever having a mission team, and it can be a good thing, but I'm saying a mission committee or such, is that it might project the idea that, oh, the mission committee, they're the ones that take care of missions. You see? They're the ones that deal with missions. That's really not my area. I've got these other things that I'm dealing with. Well, God took care of that with Psalm 67, didn't he? We're all to share this heart. This is the heart of all my people. This is what I want the heart of all my people to be. I want them praying to be blessed so that they could be a blessing to the nations so that the nations who do not know me now or worship me would come into this knowledge of me, this saving knowledge, and be saved. Did you realize, friends, that God wants us to have that kind, each one of us now, every one of us, to have that kind of desire for global missions, to share this heart, okay? That's one of the things I'm hoping for myself and for everyone in this room that we gain in these upcoming weeks, that God would unify our thinking in this now. This is a priority for us. So it's a song, and as I've mentioned, and let's park on now for a moment, it's a prayerful song. It's a song that's really a prayer, isn't it? He's praying that God would be gracious to them. And then notice in verse 2, that your way may be known on earth. Who's the your? It's God. He's praying to God. This is a, a song that is a prayer. And I think there's implications to that. This is a song that is a prayer. And the first thing I'll draw out is this. 
It reflects the fact that in order for this to be answered, God must do it. The psalmist was incapable of making this happen. Israel, the entire nation collectively, was incapable of making this happen. They cannot turn non-worshippers of God into worshippers of God. It's above their pay grade. They don't have the ability to do it. And so what he does here is he does what we should all do. This is the first step. And not just the first step as though you move on from this. This is the first step of being involved in global missions. And it continues all the way through it. It's prayer. It's praying for this to happen because we're acknowledging unless God does this, it can't, it won't happen. Do you see? Sometimes we can get excited about something that we think God wants us to do or calling us to do or maybe we even know God wants us to be involved in. And it's kind of like, yeah, we'll pray about that. Yeah, let's hurry and do that so we can get busy on what we need to be doing, right? We feel like we need to be doing something or we're not doing something. But the primary thing in global missions I believe, or in the salvation of individual souls, or in your work of evangelism, or in raising your children, isn't what you do. It's your prayers. You see, friends, we have to acknowledge that salvation of anyone is out of our hands. We can share the gospel with them, and we should, and we must, but we can't change the heart. You can have children and you can say, I'm going to raise these children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and man, I'm going to sing songs of gospel to them before they go to bed every night and we're going to have a family prayer time and I'm going to do this particular type of schooling and I'm going to keep them away from this crowd over here and I'm not going to do all these other things. They're not listening to this music or watching that. And friends, in the end, they could leave your home as unregenerate as the pew you're sitting in. Your, we can't perform salvation. Friends, think about it this way. You couldn't even do it for yourself, could you? You couldn't save yourself. So we can't expect to be able to save other people. It's not going to be our plans or our programs that will bring any salvation to the world. It's not going to be a stellar mission team or even stellar missionaries that are going to be the key, it's going to be God's work of working through very weak and frail and broken, just as we just sung, unfaithful people, bringing the gospel to others. Salvation is something only God can do, and this is so important because, as is the direction the psalm is going, when people are saved and when the prayer is being answered and when people are coming to faith and when non-worshippers of God are becoming worshippers of God, who gets all the glory in that? You know what's sometimes very disappointing is to read honest missionary biographies that actually explain some of the details of who the person was. Because what we often do is we idolize our missionaries. (laughs) especially the ones in church history that God gave success. And then all of a sudden I was reading about one 
Mona, you tell you who it was. I was reading about him this week, and I was so disappointed. Like I had quoted this guy, and he was he loved the Lord, no doubt about it. He did he he was used by God for great things, but there were areas of his life that were a wreck. Why? Because he isn't getting the glory for all those people that came to faith in Christ. Glory and salvation belongs to one and one alone, and that is our God. That's why they're worshiping in Psalm 67 and they're praising God. They're not praising and worshiping the missionary that brought them the gospel. They're glad now and rejoicing in God in him alone. This is what we do. We pray to God because we acknowledge that unless he does the work, nothing's gonna happen. What an important thing to remember. So here's here's an application, a very practical. For our church to become a Psalm 67 church means that the number one activity that we need to be participating in as a people is that of prayer when it comes to global missions. We're praying now. So here's a challenge, if you will, to add into your daily prayer life prayer for missionaries. How about starting with just ours, right? You're going to lift them up to prayer. As a matter of fact, I noticed, I think I had it up here, the piece of paper was John and Janice Floyd's prayer email sign-up. You can sign up for that. You're going to get information about what they're doing there among the Tarmar people. You can pray for them. You keep them before you. Uh, This is why missionaries give out prayer cards. You put them up on your refrigerator. You're reminded to pray for them. Pray for them as individuals. Let's pray for them in our small groups. In our small groups, in our prayer time, and I lead one, so the people here in my small group remind me of this now. As we break up in prayer, let's pray for gospel global missions. Let's pray things like Psalm 67. Let's pray for our missionaries. Let's pray as Paul has directed us. Did you know that Paul was a missionary? Actually, Paul was not a local church pastor. He was a missionary that planted churches. And I think the longest stay he had in a church, I could be wrong on this, but I think the longest stay was three years. And then he moves on. And in Romans 15, he gives his missionary um, philosophy, okay? And he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So Paul was always itching to leave the place he's in so that he could get to the next place, very strategic, get to the next place and begin sharing the gospel where there was no gospel witness. And Paul, in his letters, gave us at least two verses that we could use in prayer for missionaries. So this is, these two prayers I'm about to give, these verses, are from a missionary, and he's saying, this is how I want you to pray for me. So this should inform our prayers, all right? So this is what Paul says, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. That's a whole, that's a whole package of prayer right there, isn't it, for missionaries? 
that you know. Ones we support, some of you support missionaries on your own. Some of you know of missionaries that you're praying for. Hey, you want some content for them? Open up 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 1. Pray this for them. Or how about Colossians 4 verses 2 to 4? Where Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. This is what Paul's heart is. Now pray these things for me, says Paul. This is the content of our prayer. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for as we ought, right? And the Spirit helps us in our weakness in that. And in one way he does that is he gives us the word of God so that we know what to pray for. And anybody who has been in any kind of full-time missionary work, ministry work, pastoral ministry understands pretty quickly that what they need more than anything is that the people of God intercede for them in prayer. As they battle the same struggles and fights of Everybody else is battling, plus ministry needs. You know, it may start out in the heart of a missionary raising support where their priority list is more like, well, we need money, so give us money. And if you've got time, here's our prayer card. I think over time what they realize as ministry refines them is what they really need is first and foremost that God has got people praying for them and they know it then. And then God is answering those prayers. And in answering those prayers for those missionaries, God is being glorified in what they're doing. Another thing, friends, I want us praying for as a church comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 to 38. And this actually comes from Jesus. And he said, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let me just pause right there and just interject something. We're going to make a big deal in upcoming weeks out of Psalm 67 that the number one motive, number one motive for global missions is not compassion for people. That's not the number one. If we were to do that, if it was love for people that drove our missionary activity, we would be idolaters. Our number one passion for missions must be the glory of God. It's for Him, okay? But with that clearly said, there should be something in the heart of us. Look at the heart of Christ as He looks out at lost people. Is He indifferent to it? He sees their need, their helplessness, their lostness, And nobody among their nation was leading them in the right ways or pointing them towards true salvation. So he felt compassion for them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Here's something to pray for. Ready? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Do we pray earnestly that the Lord would raise up laborers? I had intended to ask some of the people that had been here for longer than I've been here, part of this church, 
how many of the people that grew up here, like Aaron and Karen Thomas, who are sitting right here, always a reminder of this, grew up in this church and ended up in some kind, some capacity of full-time ministry work, whether here or around the world. I know it's many. Off the top of your head, no? You ever counted it? Just my era, yeah. I would say at least two dozen. At least two dozen people in the past of this church God raised up, and they're out in various capacities of ministry, at least were for a time. Now, that's significant because that's what I would like to see. Wouldn't you for a church? I mean, how thrilling would it be? How exciting, how exhilarating, how motivating would it be and encouraging to see within our own congregation somebody raised up to go out to the nations. And oftentimes we've always thought about people that are young doing that. Like in their 20s. That's natural. That's good. We want that. But if you haven't listened to the interview that Graham did on our podcast with John and Jana Floyd, you need to listen to that. One of the things that excited me about their ministry is that it didn't even come into existence until their mid-40s, mid-life. So I'm 47. I realize how much older they are than me. All right? That's why he has a big, full, white beard now. I didn't realize how old they are. They look younger. Okay? But... They started this ministry 10 years ago in their mid-40s, left a career that was good paying, left home and family to go minister among the Taramara people. There's opportunities now like no other time. I've heard of retirees going to places around the world and serving in various capacities of global ministries to never say, it's not for me, it's not for me at this time. As a matter of fact, if you say that, then God in his grand sense of humor will end up putting you somewhere where you never thought, right? Let's pray that as a people, that we'd have a passion to see this and we would want to support them in every way we can to the fullest extent possible, okay? So we're praying that God would raise up. That's what Jesus told us to do. Let's do that. Let's pray it for our church. We want him to raise up people that will go in many other places, but let's pray that he'll do it here. And as in any prayer, let me bring this to the last point for this week anyway. As in prayer, God will do it. He will answer it as he has promised, but he's going to answer it in his timing and in his way. What's interesting about this prayer, let's say it was David that wrote it. From the time of David writing this psalm to the birth of Christ, was about a thousand years. That's a long time. And friends, if you know the history of Israel from the time of David to the birth of Christ, you wouldn't have had any indication that God heard this prayer at all, would you? Like everything in that nation screamed, this ain't gonna happen. If God's gonna bless the nations... It can't be through them, see? But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The law given to whom? Israel. 
a Jew. God answered this prayer and is continuing to answer it through Jesus Christ up to this very day. See, this is a prayer, friends. When you pray it, you know God's going to answer it. If you pray it for this church, believe he's going to answer this prayer for this church in his timing and his way. Sometimes we've got to wait on the Lord. That's a key phrase in the Old Testament we don't like. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. But when the time is right, he will answer this prayer. In Luke chapter 2, verses 29 to 32, Simeon is holding the baby Jesus in his hands and he had been told by the Spirit that he would be able to see the Lord's Christ when he arrived. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See, friends, when you're praying this, you know he's going to answer it. He expressly said it in Psalm 46.10. I grew up looking at this first phrase. My life, in my church I grew up in, we didn't have a cross anywhere in the church building. We had a plaque that said, be still and know that I am God. And the second half of that is what? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Is Psalm 67 going to be answered? Read this with me. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When you're praying Psalm 67 this week, and I'm asking you to do it, attach it to Psalm 4610. And say, God, you have promised this. You are doing this. It is happening right now. There are peoples in places where the gospel was never named. And now it's named. And now people are being saved. Churches in parts of the world that it was dark, hopeless, never heard the gospel that exists, and it's still happening. God is doing this. He will continue to do it. That's why in verse 7, Verse 6 and 7, he says, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for the direction you give us in your word. We pray that again, match our affections with what we read here. And give us a heart to see the glory, your glory, and the gospel be spread throughout the nations. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.